We are back, and I'm back in the bunker and coming to you live via satellite is the talent, Derek Estes. Oh, by the way, this is Psychotronicast, and I'm Alec Berg. Uh, follow us on Instagram if you don't already, and subscribe to us on any podcast platform that we belong to. And hopefully we'll be a part of ones that you haven't found us on soon. We're looking at you, Spotify. <laughs> um, anyway, that was a great little interruption to talk about us for a moment. But now we're back and we're into the Franco Files. So, Derek, yeah. what the fuck did you get us into? All right. Well, it's it was so tough. Like, narrowing these movies down is, like, now, now we're getting down to the wire. Um, and so I decided with uh, How to Seduce a Virgin, also uh, Plaisir et Toi, uh, the French title, and the title of the poster I have on my wall I'm staring at right now. Um, but this movie is great. I think this one uh, gets us a little bit farther into his career. We have uh, Lena Romay is in it. It's one of her earliest films for him. Uh, and it really kind of has a lot of that weird dreaminess. This was actually made at the, basically the same time, I think right before... Um, he made the other, the first Franco film that we covered, which is Countess Perverse. He made immediately after this. Um, and this is this, it's in that crazy, weird dream world where there's, uh, you know, little bits of the Marquis de Sade still, and there's lots of like naked girls on beds. Um, yeah, and this just also has a lot of those other weird, surreal things that I love. So, yeah, this is, yeah, out of all the. I mean, everything's like super dreamy, like in the Jess Franco world. But this is more along the lines, at least for me, of somewhere you just want to be transported to. Like, oh, I want a mm-hmm. beach house where the fuck this is. Be neighbors with these people. Oh yeah, I actually I I can't remember if I even paid much attention to where this was shot. I meant to look that up because um, there a lot of these movies, a lot of the appeal is just you know seeing all these crazy locations, um, and he'll be you know in you know like istanbul for you know the vampires lesbos or he's in portugal for version among the living dead and um you just have like i don't know it's just really cool it's like these, this kind of travelogue element to it what a great it's traveling so road show to be a part of oh yeah like well in these houses and these like yeah they're just crazy you know, because people are like, oh, I'm one of the touring acts in the Upright Citizens Brigade. We started in Chicago, but now we're going to Wyoming. And then after yeah. that, we're going to be in Tulsa. And you're like, fuck that. Get me to Spain, France, Portugal, Italy. We're doing big things. I'm seeing nothing but Bush. This is a Jess Franco flick. <laughs> I know. Lots and lots of Bush. And Spare, this is, yeah, this yeah. does not hold back uh, the Bush b- Brigade as you were <laughs> in this film. This is returning more to the Jess Franco that most people know and love. Oh, um, uh, yeah. With Virgin Among the Living Dead, it's like his most, at least that I've seen, his most dreamlike. And he's not really too, I mean, for his standards, exploitative in any of the regions he usually goes. And this one, it's like, Yeah, that movie has way less. I mean, it's like, there's not a whole lot of sex in that movie. There's nudity. But there's not a lot of the kind of writhing on the beds sort of stuff that you get in the, you know a lot of these movies. There's straight up um, penetration in this film. Oh, yeah. Just when you think so you're not going to see while. that guy's dick, you not only see his dick, but he sticks it in a vagina. And you're like, oh. I know. All right. I know. Well, it was funny because, yeah, I guess we'll get into that a little bit longer. But, yeah, it's like you see all the girls naked forever, and you're like, okay, are none of these guys going to even show their butt? Um, 
it, it, it's a little in, un, uneven for quite a while. But, you know, eventually it catches up around the end, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you do. Um, so this movie, I guess, uh, to start off, you get uh, Alice Arno, who is the main star of Countess Perverse. And she was also one of those actresses that worked with him a lot. I think she was in, like, 10 of his movies or 11 or something like that during the 70s. I think she's already in, like, 10 of his movies in this one year. Um, she she did quite a few. Um, and she's, like, just this really striking-looking woman. I mean, she's just, like, built like some Amazon, which was really used well in Countess Perverse. Oh, yeah. Um, but even her face is, like, this kind of, like, kind of beautiful and bizarre, like, like feline face. I mean, she looks like a lioness or something. For sure. Um, At least a chair. Yeah, totally. Um, so she gets released from some sort of like asylum. Um, it looks almost like, or some like a sanitarium. I don't know. It looks very, very posh and nice. I always think, <laughs> especially when, you know, just life gets very stressful. I'm always jealous of those scenes in these old movies where people get to go to the sanitarium just to like calm down. Yeah. <laughs> just on these rolling greens in wheelchairs with like a blanket and you know, someone just wheeling them around. And, and like, I always kind of want like one of those mini vacations. Yeah, just like a tropical drink, just trying to, you know, get your shit together. And yeah, they're all exactly. wearing white like they're on a yacht. Yeah. Basically like I can't be bothered is why you go there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you can no longer be bothered. Um so she gets out, and we go on this, like, really surreal drive back home. And it's funny because it does this loop. I mean, it's kind of like the beginning of Virgin Among the Living Dead, where you have that really long uh, the drive, and you're just kind of, like, watching, you know, this beachside go by. But then you'll keep going to the shot, and you'll, it's Howard Vernon is driving. He's like the chauffeur. My man, and back again. <laughs> yeah, there he is. He doesn't have a whole lot to do with this movie, but it's it's still great to see him pop in and out. Um, but you'll see like this, like it's going down this road, and there's like this big house at the end of this road, and then it's like they never get closer to it, and it could just be like weird bad editing, but it also just adds this weird like they're just driving in some endless loop, um, and then as soon as uh, Alice, her, her character is Martine. She gets home, and then she has, like, some crazy... Well, she, she has a crazy flashback of her castrating this guy, um, which is really crazy. And it, it gives, like, probably some of the most explicit violence um, in, in the movie is one of the opening scenes. And then she gets to this mansion, and then she runs into uh, this guy, Malou, who's this, like, midget kind of hunchback or tiny hunchback. I don't know. Um and he's played by this guy, Alfred Bellew. I, I thought he looked familiar. He is also this weird um, kind of midget character in this movie I love called uh, Morgana. Or it's, it's, I've seen it titled uh, The Girl Slaves of Morgana Le Fay or like Morgana and Her Nymphs. It has different titles. But he's very memorable in that movie too. It's this kind of like, yeah, just this weird little like forest elf guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, His pants... I mean, only Clint Eastwood rides his trousers that high. Oh, yeah, totally. He has to, like, unzip his pants to sneeze. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, so you have him, and then he's, like, kind of freaking out and being really weird. And then you get uh, the amazing Lena Romay. For the first time in this series, we haven't had a chance to talk about her. Oh. And she's 
talk about her. Going to be his like big muse for the basically the rest of his career. I mean, there'd be other people he works with, obviously, but uh, pump, she becomes front and center. To pump the brakes on this for a second, so is yeah. the final Franco film going to be Alina or Romay? Because I feel like you can't. We can't stop. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, good. Because it's like, we well, have to do is, yeah, one need, where like, she's in it. More of, like, just her. And that's the thing. It's, like, why it gets so hard narrowing these movies down. Because, um, yeah, it's just, it, there's just so many directions. And you brought up a, uh, in the previous podcast, and then also when we were watching this film, but, you know, you, you keep seeing these same characters, or the same um, actors appear in all of his films. And you can't yeah. help but think, like, this is the Jess Franco cinematic universe. It's like, people have Marvel, people have their thing, but I'm all about the JFCU. Like, I will follow no these people into the dark. They, are like, I want to see their, like, they are the Avengers. Oh, yeah, totally. You're like, I don't need, like, Doctor Strange to pop out, you know, but, you know, give me, like, Howard Vernon just, you know, driving a car for no reason. Or, <laughs> like, um... You know, just Lena Romay and like some random woman just, you know, just rolling around in their, their giant bushes, and, you know, on some hotel room bed. And it's instead just, instead of Stan Lee funny. just popping up for a little cameo here and there, you get Jess Franco acting retarded in every little film <laughs> yeah. here and there. Totally. And speaking of retarded characters, Segway. Lena Romay, <laughs> um, well, she is it's crazy because you can't quite tell what her deal is like if she is some sort of like um you know whatever like the village idiot or if it's and later it kind of would make a little more sense uh if she's just been kind of traumatized into this weird like uh she's this kind of gibber she is kind of like it seems damaged or like she's kind of uh she just kind of grunts and moans and it's just really really weird and then but she just kind of even it's like we'll be hanging out like cross-legged like wearing a little dress or like a like a smock sort of thing just cross-legged with her like bush hanging out and then just like petting flowers it's kind of like her big thing she does like okay like we don't know what to do with you right now lena but just go sit back in the corner um you know sh show us your pussy and then just pet some flowers and it's <laughs> really weird but she does it throughout this movie um, and the Oscar goes to, yeah, totally. So Martine's like in, you know, home, she's like, you know, seeing everybody and being reunited and Lincoln is kind of following her around and grunting. And then she ends up going down to this, her crazy like basement dungeon. And there are all of these, um, it's kind of like the mannequin thing that kind of comes up a lot in Franco's movies, but all of them are almost like waxworks, but they're like real people that'll be kind of posed uh throughout this this basement and they just kind of keep still and you kind of figure you you know realize that these are her victims like this is part of her weird thing is she has this she just wants to you know freeze people and just see the the pain in their their eyes or whatever um but it's so cool it's like just a really crazy visual when you go down like, this is just so surreal and strange i think this uh, is is a good a time as any to talk about the interior decoration mm -hmm. of this house. The fucking lava cove, the dungeon, the whatever the hell that living room was. Like, it's all yeah, it's, good. It's crazy. It's like the Madonna Inn, where you have, like, the weird cave rooms. Because even, like, there'll be these, yeah, this crazy, like, lava room. Like, you have these 
rock formations with like crazy mirrored walls. Like it's very like kind of like just, yes, seventies, sixties, chic, modernist insanity. Um, and it's also in, yeah, like whatever this tropical location they're at in this crazy manner that look, I mean, I don't know what it's like. Everything is just, is so over the top and just amazing. And you're like, I just want to party here. It's so bad. Like, where's this Airbnb? I don't think you could just, I I couldn't imagine just like, Oh, I'm just going to read a book in my nook. Like right here. It's just strictly like they're, better be full frontal every time you walk into any room in this house. Oh it's yeah. It's just a you party just, house. Just the, the decorations just turn you into a freak. Yeah. There's no, <laughs> regardless, there's no Sunday's finest, uh, Saturday barbecue at this house. It's just one giant living, breathing orgy. Exactly. With mind games. <laughs> and dead mannequin women in the basement dungeon and the house and the house retard. Oh Yeah. I know, and and the the hunchback. It's got quirks. We're saying it's got quirks. It, yeah, it has a little bit of everything. Yeah, um, yeah, it's really awesome. So she's like kind of checking out her place. She's like, okay, everything's still here, and then she goes out like seemingly immediately goes out cruising for hookers, <laughs> and she's like, well, she just got out. Like she's got to get yeah, off. Totally. She's like, I I got to get back out here. I got to see what's going on. And she ends up like picking up, you know, this this hooker with like some crazy like gray wig and like takes her. And she's like, "Oh, do you want a model?" And the woman's like, "Yeah, sure." She comes back, but it's really funny because you it cuts to this scene where um, Martine is like, you know, drawing the portrait of this woman, but really all she's doing is just drawing the pussy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like, like a, oh, okay, it's an upside down Dorito bush. <laughs> yes um it's really it's crazy but then the woman the hooker starts just bitching about how holding the pose and she's actually holding a pretty like easy pose just like lying down it's not like anything very crazy she's bitching about it and um this seems to like set off my my team basically she ends up like dragging her down whipping her and then shoots her with this uh some sort of like crazy chemical that just kills her. She's frozen still, and she is added to the dungeon of like of crazy freaks. Um, it's kind of like you know, um, like Bucket of Blood or like those movies, or even like I guess like House of Wax, where people are like trapped inside of um, you know, it's some sort of like statue like pose, um, and they don't like. It's I guess they. I mean, I guess they're dead, but they don't, like, decompose, mm-hmm. you know? It's like they're just kind of, like, frozen to this turn to stone. It's cool. Um, but, the, oh, yeah, so while she's, like, freaking out on this woman, then enters uh, her husband, Charles, and he is, like, just slink city. It's just, he just looks <laughs> like just the most ultimate 70s Euro trash guy. Well, how many um, suits does he own that suede? Oh, yeah. He's like, so many of his clothes are like just crazy. Like, later in the movie, he wears like that purple suede suit. And he's just, yeah, like the suede, like polyester shirts. Um, it's pretty incredible. And so he kind of like joins in and whatever. They're kind of reunited. And there's a whole scene later that um, they're all like kind of, you know, whatever, in some like living room or bedroom. And it's just like, yeah, I guess it's a bedroom. This is some bed just on the floor. 
And she's just, like, rolling around like crazy. And then he's, like, talking about, like, you know, how she got out and, and stuff about kind of, like, uh, alluding to her money and her, like, uh, her fortune, whatever. It seems like she must have, like, inherited a lot of money. I didn't totally catch a lot of it. But it does come in later into the movie. It's definitely um, a trust fund issue. Start. She does not work a day in her life for any of this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And this is part of their, like, crazy decadent lifestyle. Um, and that's why we, this is about the time like, of the movie where we're just talking about, like, we just need to win that Powerball so we can be these people. Like, oh, these yeah. people, that's why they get to live so free and insane and, like, just wear, mm-hmm. like, just either all, just at least have some genital showing or just be wrapped <laughs> up in suede. And then, or you're just, like, gossiping about the neighbors so much because you have so much time on your hands that you're like, you know what we should do? Fuck her and kill her. <laughs> I know. Well, and that's like the thing is he tells her about this girl, like this innocent young girl uh, that he's been spying on, who's the diplomat's daughter. And he found a place, like some sort of chateau, like right across the street. And he knows her bedroom window, and they need to go and like find her. And she's totally turned on by this idea. So they kind of like pack up and they go to this place. And they're just like watching her through like of course this girl who's actually like the woman's like whatever 27 or something <laughs> um but she's they, they find herself and she's just like again like kind of just rolling around on the bed sort of like maybe masturbating it's kind of hard to tell but they are like watching her through like binoculars from across the street and getting so excited and like they're you know they basically start fucking and it gets just totally ridiculous. And then um, they see the girl, like, get ready and, like, run outside the house to go meet her parents, like, the, you know, the diplomat. And they, like, flip out, and they have to, like, rush down there, and they have to, like, throw all their clothes on really quick and try to study themselves. They go out and meet them. Um, and it's just so fucking crazy. But then they're like, oh, yeah, we're, like, friends. You should, like, your daughter should come and stay with us for a while. And they all kind of agree. Um, yeah, it's really crazy. And then, the, yeah, there's an, a second show. There's like a, things repeat a few times in this movie, but there's like then a later show that they that the girl puts on where she's really just like getting down and just wearing her little nighty. Um, is that when the room yeah. turns red? I think, no, I think that is during the striptease. Oh, that's it. That's what I'm talking about. But as- yeah, yeah. As they're going to meet the neighbors so they can have that teenage daughter stay the night while the parents are out of town. I love that Alice Arno is just uh, wearing thigh-high boots. Thank God she's already oh, yeah. wearing her boots. She's wearing nothing else. Like, she's completely <laughs> naked, but she's wearing thigh-high boots. Like, oh, shit, they're outside. Quick, throw this on. And then just hip, gip. Oh, how are you doing? Oh, you're going out of town? That's weird. Well, my fucking husband's been spying on your daughter fucking rear window style for the last few weeks, so we've got the hots for her. We'll watch her while you're out of town. Yeah. But then they go, it's... and that's the whole thing about Jess Franco filming masturbation scenes. I think I've seen, like, it's funny, I've only seen, like, six Jess Franco movies, but I think I've seen, like, six <laughs> masturbation scenes. And uh, At least. They're, like, it's like if somebody never heard, like, if you told an alien, like, how do humans masturbate? And then they would do it. And you're like, that's not it, but cool. <laughs> like, you're... Yeah. 
but because it, it does weird. It it seems more like they're on some weird drug. Yeah, and it's like the you drugs know? that are out these days, not the drugs that were out those days. So he's, I feel like the person who invented Molly and all that stuff was probably really into Jess Franco and was like, you know what? I want to make a drug that makes you feel like that, man. That makes you want to do that. And then totally, they just yeah. Ecstasy was born. They redesigned it. <laughs> yeah. They reinvented the game as they knew it. They're like, oh, okay. This is our goal. Yeah. <laughs> and then once they achieved it, they're like, fuck yeah. Like, <laughs> it only took oh. every single Jess Franco tooth except for one. Because if you, look, yeah. if you see any interviews with him, <laughs> like, in, That's the, it. in the last 10 years, like before his death, he just has the one tooth left. All right. The one little snaggle tooth. They must have lived. I mean, I guess, you know, just working nonstop will do that to you. But um, Lena, too, like around the end, she looks considerably older than her age. Um, I kind of want to only and... remember her as this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like um, uh, Betty Page, where she was like, I'm out. I, I'm. Yeah. I see my look. They're fading. I'm out. I do not want another picture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So no, I was like a lot of those people, like Marlena Dietrich. You know, just like after a certain point, she's like, okay, nope, I'm just gonna hide away, and you're never gonna see. Me. <laughs> but, I have my money. You remember me the way I want to remember anybody to remember me by <laughs> toodles. Yeah, that's it. Um. Yeah, God, they like. Sorry, yeah, get, all this shit yeah, happens. Oh, no, no, you're good. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, it's just like, because, <laughs> yeah, it just gets, like, crazy. They all, like, basically start, like, hanging out, and, like, there's, like, just weird, like, kind of non-secular scenes. Like, there's that scene with um, the hunchback is just playing a flute in the tree. <laughs> That's the next thing I was going to say. Yeah, totally. It's kind of um, like where they got the idea. <laughs> they didn't. But it's, like, something about Mary where there's those two dorks are playing folk music in the tree. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> It's like the old man playing flute in the tree. It's like uh, if Clint Eastwood put down the the far right and picked up the left flute and just started playing. And he stopped yelling <laughs> at that chair and started playing that flute. I don't know. This guy reminds me so much of Clint Eastwood in the last 20 years. <laughs> I, love, I love of all the people you're like, that guy is just like, like little Clint Eastwood. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> he's like a younger Clint Eastwood. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my god i love it sidetrack uh, um, last one and no. go back to the movie um our buddy tom just watched the movie the mule <laughs> that oh yeah the last clint eastwood he's like and he just wrote he's like two clint eastwood's too i'm just starting the movie clint eastwood's too old he shouldn't be in this film and then um he's just like Oh my God! Just do yourself a favor. Don't don't look at Clint this way. Don't watch this movie. Like he's like he he had no business being in this movie. It, it's just too much. I'm like, sometimes, uh, sometimes, yeah, it happens. It happens. Yeah, Jesus. he's oh, still yeah, doing he, it. He wrote oh, yeah. also also don't watch the Mule unless you want to laugh at the movie Clint Eastwood shouldn't have made. <laughs> so yeah. I'm probably good on that one. I'm good on that too. I'm like, I wasn't going <laughs> to anyway. You're fine. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so anyhow, like all these guys just basically they, they hang out a lot. And then there's this, they end up playing a, another like party game, which is kind of a weird theme too in these movies. Um, and it's like, it's kind of like a truth or dare, but it's like they, 
put their names in like a hat and they pull it out and then the other person has to do whatever. And the girl, like, uh, I think it's like Celestine is like the virgin, I guess. Um, sure. Ends up pulling out like Alice Arno's name, Martine. And then she has to like put on a strip tease. And it's hilarious because it's that point where all of a sudden the lights all just turn totally red. So good. Uh, she busts out her mannequin and does this fucking act. You're just like, how long have you been rehearsing this act? Uh-huh. It's just, a, just a little like cabaret strip show. And she also is super like, it's one of his big uh, things, which we haven't actually seen in the movies that we've covered so far, but he's really into floor shows. Um, and they pop up constantly. Like, Vampires Lesbos has a big one. Uh, Succubus is really famous for that. The Diabolical Dr. Z. Um, you know, like, in a lot of these movies, for whatever reason, they'll, um, the main characters will either go to or put on, like, these floor shows. I guess there is that scene, too, in um, Eugenie Desaad when they they go to that club and there's, like, the, the woman doing a little striptease thing. Oh, okay. Um, but, yeah, we see these in his movies constantly. So I love just... She's like, oh, okay, I got this. Well, also, <laughs> yeah, it's doing. like the, it's the 70s, too. And, you know, even though it's the 21st century these days, the handful of parties that I've been to where somebody actually does break out like a game in the living room, like, let's play charades or like, let's do this or that. It always turns into a good time. I think maybe we yeah. should revert back to that because you never know. Somebody can have red gels hiding in their backpack ready to throw them above <laughs> the lights and just lose the top. Like, I'm all down yeah. for that. These uh, par- I know. these parlor games are where it's at, in my opinion. <laughs> Massage parlor games. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, but these guys basically they just get like, I mean, I'm trying to like, I mean, it, it gets like crazy. There is like a little plot going on, but at a certain point, it's mostly just like them trying to get to this girl, and then you know they're they keep they love spying on her. So at one point. Uh, they catch Adele, like uh, Lena Romay's character, and her like kind of having some sort of sex, um, I guess, on a bed, mostly just like rolling around mm-hmm. um, with well, just like all the bush. Well, before all that, Lena Romay is watching her guardians watch her, and she's like applying lipstick all over her fucking oh, face. Yeah. And that's what we yeah. post on Instagram <laughs> on our feed if you follow us at all. Like, that's the. That's this movie, <laughs> but yeah, this is like, what is that? Like, it's so crazy. But the dad's doing like a Norman Bates thing, and it's a really cool shot in the film where they show, or maybe it's when they're showing um, her eye looking through the peephole, and the peephole is surrounded by wallpaper of the same photo, blown up a little bit bigger than the last time, encompassing. Oh yeah, the previous. Well, wait, now it's hard I'm to describe, but it, oh, what am I thinking of? No, I did, wait, did that happen in this movie? Or oh my that god, that's knife plus heart. Knife and heart. Ah! Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking that too. I'm, I'm like, bleeding the films together. I know. We watched we watched them so close together that they're like they they're conjoined. Oh, <laughs> but I kind of can't. But I think I think it is knife plus heart for that. No, you're absolutely right. Sorry, people at home. Oh no. <laughs> That's another great movie. <laughs> uh, here's a, here's we'll a newsflash or, or like sneak peek. We're going to cover that film one day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just not today. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, like it's it's just so like crazy. It's just like their whole thing. It's 
yeah, just that voyeuristic element, which is obviously like a huge part of these movies. Anyhow, it's like just that, like the thrill of, you know, watching these ladies like roll around naked um, and how, you know, the characters in the movies kind of take that on. And they're just like, okay, this is like, you know, just what everything is all about. Um, you know, something else that um, these movies are all about are dope silk robes. We are totally mm-hmm. onto something here. I mean, how many of the films that we've covered have somebody at least wearing a dope silk robe in a scene? Like 80%? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like that, the majority. That's like, I think. I mean, it's like crazy. You know, to the people that love Jalo or love action or Italian horror films from the 60s and 70s, they're always drinking J&B. But it's like you know oh, yeah. you got a good psychotronic film in your grasp when you see somebody wearing a dope silk robe, and yeah. this movie is no excuse. Of course, it has no. And yeah, uh, I don't know. I guess because the the dope silk robes are not like this; they're not uniform. You know, like people always remember the the, the black gloves and Jallo. Um, you know, I guess if it, people who wear like the same color robe, people remember, but they just don't realize that like in how because people you don't even see people in normal movies just wearing like silk robes all the time. Or like smoking jackets, but somehow I mean, maybe it's the '70s thing too. Like, it's like we all need a smoking jacket. <laughs> I guess I maybe we like yeah for the men like Hugh Hefner made that cool. I'm thinking when I was a yeah. kid, I feel like every mom I knew had a robe. Oh yeah, not dads. But how? Yeah, they say how often was your dad wearing one? Exactly, so that's the real question. But just like, dude, the dude in Manual in America, he's like a senator. He's wearing like the skimpiest silk robe I'd seen ever. Oh yeah, I love that. But that's politics, like baby. <laughs> barely covering the crotch. Yeah, just all legs. Ugh, all right, he's baby. lobbying for something, all right. <laughs> oh, and God. this Jess Franco film has um, one of the cooler shots I, I've seen of his so far. When he can get medieval with uh, a shot, he makes it look great. That tracking shot that they use twice in the film, actually, when they're walking down into the dungeon. Oh, yeah. It's really cool because it just kind of like scales like 90 degrees. Uh, not 90 degrees, well, but more, it's like a like a semicircle. And um, yeah. it just looks fantastic. And it's a wide angle lens. So it just looks kind of And bizarre. you also have like that, the people, like you have like the the woman in the pose, you know, it's like the mannequin, uh, challenge thing, you know, where it's like just posed and all made up crazy. And then just with the camera moving all around it, it, it is really cool. It's impressive. Yeah. I'm down with that. Yeah. Uh, um, but then but yeah. I guess like, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> they sort of wrap things up a little bit. They, uh, they basically all end up like, you know, fucking getting like really freaky but then um, by the end, you also have this crazy scene where he's Charles has gone back to talk to her doctor and be like, oh, I don't know if she's fine or, you know, whatever. The doctor's like kind of dismissive of it. It's like, oh, I don't know, whatever. But then at the end, you realize that it's all been this ploy and that this virgin is actually her husband's mistress. And they planned all this to like inject her with this fluid so that she turns into like stone so they can live off of her money. Um, but then I, I guess my only confusion is how would they tell people that she was dead? You know, they'd be like, oh yeah, she's dead. Cause we have her frozen in this thing. <laughs> we inherit everything. But I, I don't think you need to look at the, 
Yeah, if you're trying to find the logistics, like people have a problem with the the new Jordan Peele movie Us because the logistics are everything. If you're trying to do that with just Franco, then shame on you. But yeah. Uh, also, like, why would you? And speaking of logistics, why would you do that to her? Like, obviously, mm-hmm. she didn't mind getting freaky with your fucking like side chick, and she's oh, yeah. fine as hell. So, like, what's the problem here? You have three women to fuck with, like. <laughs> what i know i know he just he wanted he wanted to know that he had the money it's my money though see i know this is why gordon gecko doesn't know shit greed is not good because pussy is better (laughs) greed might be good but pussy is better all right yeah here here i love it um but yeah and it's also the other thing with this movie i mean like a lot of these movies we haven't talked about the music at all Oh, and uh, yeah. it's just like you know, it's kind of all over the place. I can't even remember who does it. It's not like uh, I don't think it was like Bruno Nikolai, but um, you know, it is. Oh, I think. Music Daniel Janin and Robert Hermel, who I don't know, sound like aliases. Yeah, exactly. Was I wondering like Daniel? Because I think this was like uh, Daniel White is one of the other people that he works with a lot. It's like, are they on the, the uh, blacklist? Like, are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? It's like, I'm not American. Who gives a fuck? All right, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, exactly. Uh, have you ever worked on a Jess Franco film? <laughs> I uh, wish. But it is really cool. They are like these really, like, even the scene when she goes to go look for the hookers and you have that, like, crazy, like, kind of sleazy sleazy guitar you know it's like the the bass line yeah um i just i don't know the ways that uh the music's incorporated in this movie is just really cool it just adds to that whole mood and that's kind of what one of the big appeals of these movies is that they kind of just set this weird time and place and mood where so you just kind of want to be there regardless of like these you know these freaky people which mm-hmm. are just entertaining to watch but you're just like yeah i want to be in this like beautiful tropical mansion and this fucking just live this lifestyle. Just wear some dope clothes and just have some scuzzy guitar playing behind me. Yeah, and it's and a, if you ever want to escape and you haven't seen a Jess Franco film yet, which why are you still listening to this? This is the third Franco file, but saying you haven't, it's like the best escape kind of movie. Like we were discussing and like before, like not getting too personal, but you know some. We've been in like a dark time, and you just want to like go home and just forget about reality and just throw on a Jess Franco film, and it just transport yeah. you to some like other world where it's like, oh, like fuck the bullshit, like I'm here now. Oh yeah, and it totally. If you let it, it's kind of like uh, AA. <laughs> they say it at the end. <laughs> I had to do a court ordered AA once, so that's why I know this. But it's like um, at the end, they all hold hands and they pray or whatever, and then they go like, it works if you work it. And I feel like Jess Franco films are like, you know, it works if you let it work you. Just yeah. like fall into the gap. I don't know why I'm using these like 90 reference, 90s references. But like, I love it. Fall into the gap. <laughs> it works if you work it. Uh, <laughs> stop the insanity. Let's get physical. Uh, Jess Franco. I'm, God, I feel so inspired right now. I know. Like, don't you want to like shave your head and scream? <laughs> yeah. Always. My, this is my lifestyle. That's why, really why I shave my head. It's like she is all Susan Powder. Yeah. It's funny, uh, speaking of Susan Powder, my fr- I don't know, I 
there was this time I was go went to go visit my friend Polly, and uh, this place she was living in San Francisco it was like right on um, on Mission, and it was just just kind of this really I don't know this really crazy place. But apparently her roommate was dating Susan Powder. Or I, I don't know, whatever. Anyhow, Susan Power had, like stayed there like right before I'd been there, and I'm like that's so random. I don't know. This is a really stupid story, but whenever I think of her, I'm like, huh? She was still out there somewhere, stopping yeah. the insanity and yeah. staying in weird flop houses. It okay. wasn't really a flop house, but kind of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, but yeah, I dig- or you digress, or I'm letting you. I'm telling you to digress. <laughs> <laughs> Get off it. Get off uh, that shit. No, I'm just thinking. <laughs> Jess Franco, we've got one more film in the tank. I know. The pressure, there's so much. There's just like, there's so many different types of movies that, yeah, that you could cover with him. But I, I mean, that's just kind be, of the, the I honestly the wouldn't, I wouldn't be mad if you extended it. This doesn't have to be a four-parter. I don't know why we do these rules. But I know. If you really you want to be like, rules. guess what, it's eight parts, I'd be like, cool. Uh, the more I, I discover... Of Jess Franco, the more I'm like, oh, I'm a Jess Franco fan. I remember when you first, at least, were publicly telling me that you were watching his films. <laughs> but I remember when you first started vocally getting into him because you were talking about it. We'd be working together, and I remember you're saying like, um, you know, you're worried. You're like, ah, I don't want to show. <laughs> like, you're not ready for this kind of thing. Like, I don't know if this is your whatever. Maybe I wasn't then, but I definitely am now, and it's. So interesting to see over the you know handful of years that we've known each other how much I've grown as somebody that can oh, like, yeah. respect I mean, the film. Things that you can watch. It's it's insane because like it's like uh, yeah. it's an education beyond anything else. This is the perfect week to be talking about this because the Criterion Channel just launched this week mm-hmm. as we're recording this, and Filmstruck was so important to me. The handful of months that I got to use your password and watch it and knew about it. <laughs> and then it went away and you're just like, oh, Masterclass is over. And now yeah. I, you know, luckily I have someone like you to give me plenty of recommendations and just hand me a stack of films and say watch. But like with um, just looking back, <laughs> I've come so far. And just like with Jess Franco well, now, it's such a great, it's such a great, like he's such a, like just watch his shit. All right, people. <laughs> that's all I gotta say. They are really cool. I think it is like, well, I was kind of talking a little bit just off the podcast earlier, but, um, and even like when I first started watching this movies, cause there were even some, you know, I'd watch and I'm just like, what the fuck, you know, like this is just too much. But, um, and that's a lot of people's responses to his movies. Like you, if you read a lot of the general, um, you know, kind of reviews, people are just like, what a hack or this, this is whatever. And it's, and, in some ways they are right because his, he's not like, he's not interested in making movies in the conventional way. Um, and for the people that do enjoy his movies, I mean, I think most people, if you watch enough, you will see something like, Oh God, this is really the pits. But, um, there's usually something really interesting to it. And you have to kind of see that like, these are movies made kind of on a, a different set of rules. Um, and it's much more about mood and atmosphere and, you know, obviously like, you know, the rot- the erotic element to it, but it also is funny because I think of, um, you know, what say like, you know, pornography is or like a- what erotic films even were like, you know, kind of around this time period, you know, um, are so different and you wouldn't add all this other 
kind of broke elements to it. You wouldn't worry about the style so much or uh, all these kind of weird experimental things that he does. And so some, I think the people that get his movies is you can, you can kind of figure out how to ride that wave and what, you know, what is going to be interesting about this and what makes this exciting. Um, but even I was saying earlier, like how there is that weird gap in like, it's like separate canons. Uh, there's like the, you know, the big canon that people talk about in film, you know, where it's like, okay, like, you know, you're hitting these spots, like there, you know, certain like, uh, Hollywood auteur directors, then you have like the different, um, international film movements, like obviously the French new wave and Italian neorealism and, um, you know, the Czech new wave or whatever, new American cinema, uh, that they've all been kind of documented. They've all kind of like, they keep getting folded into the bigger conversation with film. And there's still this like fissure between like, uh, these kinds of like the psychotronic type films and art films and the, what the, the, you know, that bigger film conversation is. It's funny because, um, you know, not to go on a tangent about this, cause we can talk about this later, but even reading some of the reviews for like knife plus heart, uh, where the reviewers caught obviously like I've read a couple now where you can tell that the people reviewing it don't have the reference point that the film is going for. And so it's just really baffling to a lot of people that like just haven't seen, they, they don't really know what, uh, what that movie is really aiming for. So they kind of see this weird uh, jumbled mess. And it's like the languages haven't connected yet. Um, and there are a lot of like weird directors that fall in this strange limbo where they're kind of like, almost too arty for the sleaze hounds. Um, but they're too associated with sleaze movies for the people who would you know, be talking about legitimate film. Uh, I do think that with, uh, the caliber of writers, like talking about Jess Franco, especially obviously Stephen Thrower, um, but even people like Tim Lucas, uh, you know, Kat Allinger, like all these people are doing a lot of really interesting stuff. But they're they're elevating, they're taking these movies a lot more seriously, and so you can kind of, I, I think it's getting a little bit easier being able to follow some of these people to kind of figure out where the more interesting things are, or even like the interesting aspects of these people's movies. Yeah, um, maybe you need some sort of guidance because even if I, you know, if I didn't have uh, you know a friend like you to show me this and that and the other thing, and then to just stumble upon Jess Franco, I don't know how long I would last. Like, you need some context. Yeah. And then also, exactly. you know, we're living in, like, the times of, um, you know, last, you know, since, I was, since I've been an adult, it's just been, like, superheroes and rehashings of other shit, old shit. And when yeah, you come totally. across somebody like Jess Franco, sure, he would rehash his own movies, say, because you said that, you know, he's made so many. Sometimes he's remade the same ones. But it's, like, you watch it, and nobody's doing what he's doing, at least in the, the stuff that I've seen. I know Jean Roland is kind of his counterpart, but yeah, I don't know. Just frankly, yeah, with his cast, of, it is with his cast as revolving cast, and uh, just the spell that he puts on you. I'm a guy that hates dream sequences more than anybody. I think. Mm -hmm. I think if you cut out every dream sequence from every movie or every <laughs> TV show, like The Sopranos, it would make it better. Like, don't have. Uh -huh. There's no repercussion there's no nothing it's just like oh look what we're doing isn't that weird like that's what all i think is when a dream sequence are like oh we would like to do this but we don't have the balls so it's a dream wake up she's oh, not yeah. dead but with this if you make the entire movie 
where atmosphere dreamlike, it's different. You're like, oh, like you do the dream thing the right way. I think that's what I appreciate about Jess Franco. Yeah. That and the fucking women. Jesus Christ. And the what? And the women. Oh, yeah. I mean, they are like just knockouts. Lena Romay um, all day. Yeah. It's so funny because, uh, so Lena Romay, uh, I actually don't know what her real name is. It was a, a stage name. But it's based off of there was another Lena Romay, who's this Hollywood actress, uh, who actually I've never seen any of her movies. The only thing I've ever seen with the original Lena Romay is a Woody Woodpecker cartoon where he's trying to win a bullfight for her. Like, uh, you know, he's going to go on a date with Lena Romay and it's this picture of her he keeps pulling out. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny. She's so great. And there's like, like all of these women, like you have like her Alice Arno. Obviously, Soledad Miranda, Brent Nichols. Um, you know, there are a few more, and they just—they're so captivating in the way that he like shows them, and what—I um, mean, just like these kind of the showcase for these ladies is really pretty awesome. I don't know. Yeah, forget about it. I mean, it, I know I, I'm like I, so inarticulate right now. I'm just like, it's really cool. I know we're all yeah. we're both sounding just like Eli Roth at this moment, but. If Lena, Ro- <laughs> if Lena Romay's real name was Pussy Galore, I'd buy it. I'd be like, of course it is. <laughs> like, she had to change it for obvious reasons. Well, it's perfect, too, because they, um, you know, I'm sure to bludge degree most of these ladies, but in her in particular, um, you can tell that there's this element of exhibitionism, you know, and it's like when uh, an exhibitionist and a voyeur kind of team up, you're like, oh, this is like the match made in heaven. Like, you guys are, no wonder you guys are going to spend the rest of your lives together. Um, and so you just have, like, it's so crazy. I think that's also part of the energy is the fact that, like, she's clearly enjoying herself um, and just showing off and, and doing that, where you don't obviously always feel that with, um, you know, nudity in a lot of films, like where it's like, obviously they're uncomfortable. You're on like a set full of people, which it's just not like a, you know, a very comfortable situation. It's not like a sexy situation with having like a bunch of, you know, slobs standing around, you know, holding lights or cameras or whatever. Um, But she really genuinely seems to be enjoying it. So that also kind of adds to this, this thing with his movies where it is not, um, even though it's obviously they're sleazy and I, I would never deny that it's like less disturbing, I guess, because all parties just seem to be like, everyone's having a good time. It. Everyone's having a good time. Yeah. I, I wouldn't I, quite say it's sex positive because in most of these movies, there's some sort of violence or something that goes on, um, which is crazy, but it's just like the, you know, they're embracing the nudity and just the kind of, weird eroticism well also when you see movies of this caliber where it's very low budget and quote-unquote no no one's really professional um you can see the sorrow on someone's face when they're doing something just for the money you know you can see those circles in their eyes those that blank stare what have you where you're just like oh shit she's high isn't she and not in a good way yeah but with his films you know, when it starts to get down to the nitty gritty, it's like, guess what gets happen? We get to fuck or whatever. Like, you're gonna have sex with Howard Vernon. By the way, he loves dick, not pussy. But I'm gonna make <laughs> him fuck one right now. And everyone just seems to be like, that's what's up. <laughs> and I know it's you gotta weird. Respect I think they're that. all like, yeah. They just seem like they're all just down. Like that's like their natural, 
you know, state. It's just like, okay, we're just going to get naked again and roll around. And these people, I mean, they, you know, I don't think they were, you know, obviously, yeah, they weren't getting like major paychecks or even if they're getting a little bit of money they needed to sustain whatever lifestyle they had. But it's like they kept coming back. Um, over and over you again. You know, dozens and dozens of times. Um, and they just seem like, you know, they're just having a good time. I think that I'm sure with these movies, they were working a lot because of the speed of making all these movies. I mean, even if you're only making 80 minute films and you're doing, but if you're doing like one a month, um, you know, you're still working a lot, but I just get the impression that it was still pretty laid back or was at least, you know, pleasant enough for the people who were having fun, enjoying themselves and what they're doing. Um, and that's kind of a, yeah, it's just cool. I thought it was, yeah, it's really cool. And for the lack of a better term or to just steer away from the pure eroticism of the sentence, they were really like a family, a family that had sex with each other, but a family nonetheless. Yeah. Which is a theme in a lot of these movies. <laughs> yeah, a lot of family, a lot of fucking... But they really were. It's like, imagine... I don't know. Uh, it's like I envy stuff like this, where you're like, all right, you've got your core four or five or six, and we're just going to do nothing but... We, nobody has jobs. We get to go to these like amazing locations and just film nonsense for a year, and let's see how many movies we can chop out of it. And they're yeah. at least the ones that I've seen are all good. And you're just like, you son of a bitch, you did it, didn't you? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Like the closest I can really think of. I mean, I know Joe D'Amato worked that way, but I think as far as directors that I would put similarly, it would be uh, Fassbender uh, because he would put together and a lot of his movies he made so fast due to funding because he got a lot of uh, government funding from uh, like German television and things. And so you normally had to like have a project at a certain level of development to get funding. So he was always working on this crazy timeline. Uh, so that's why he would end up making like, you know, like four movies in a year or whatever. Um, and he also works with the same people and write up his own stuff. But some of those movies, you know, he would knock off so fast. He'd make like, I think like all leaf here. It's the soul. You know, he just like knocked off in like two weeks, um, and then it began, you know, became this huge, you know, uh, like international hit. And it's just funny, like thinking of this a uh, period where, you know, filmmakers could just, you know, even if they're working with like you know shoestring budgets or whatever, they could still work this fast, and things could potentially be seen. Um, you know, now I think if you did have somebody, there probably are people who are making movies. I mean, Takashi Miike is somebody, uh, who's, oh my God, yeah. you know, like making the new John so Ford. much work, but you're just not going to see it. It's all like other direct video or maybe it's, you know, things are just get lost and once in a while, Takashi Miyake, at least every five years, he'll put out something that at least gets an American release in Portland because a cinema 21 yeah. did something last summer that I couldn't catch in time, but. He always does something crazy enough where America goes like, wait a second. I mean, yeah. I remember when, um, uh, ugh, what's the Japanese gang called? The Yakuza. Yakuza yeah. Dracula or something like that. The only reason, I was <laughs> listening to an interview with him, uh, and he came to America to film a movie with, oh my God, I'm so bad right now, uh, Tom Hardy. And Tom Hardy oh, yeah. backed out at the last minute, and Takashi Miyake and his crew, because he uses the same crew on every movie, were all there. And they're like, well, shit. Well, we're here for 30 days. What should we do? And then they got drunk in a bar and thought of that. It's like, what if the Yakuza were vampires? And then they just made a movie in 30 days. I'm like, hell yeah. 
Like, I'm yeah. keeping it real. I'm not a big fan of his films. Like, some of the stuff's really good, like the 90s stuff. I remember um, I even wrote a little article about it here at Psychotronic. Oh, uh, yeah, for the, the Black... The Black Society trilogy. Yeah, the Black Society trilogy is really good, but once it starts get he starts relying on like CGI and all that stuff, you're like, ah, oh, just go back to the old days where it's just these kind of low budget, violent, small time crook gangster pictures. Like those that's yeah. That's where you really like that just the hard boiled bullshit. I don't know. I think it's stuff I'm kinda of similar. Like I think there are things I I like about his movies and I like the idea of him, but I don't necessarily enjoy a lot of his movies so much. Like I'm not, um, I'm like, Oh, okay. That was kind of cool or whatever, but I'm not, um, I don't usually go back and rewatch his movies or I don't know, but I mean, I'm sure there's probably tons that, you know, I haven't seen that I would totally love. So, um, this has been my experience with most of his movies I've seen so far. I know it was like a year or two ago when I looked up and, I think he was already matched with John Ford for the amount of films he's directed. So it's crazy. He's, he's prolific, and that was like fun. people like Ford. Yeah, I mean they were doing that in the silent period, and they were doing you know shorter films in a lot of cases, and they were just knocking him out like left and right. So you would have yeah people that would work at that sort of speed, um, and obviously that's how like a lot of those directors coming through the silent period had such crazy uh, like stagecraft. You know they just they learned things. Uh, by doing it like so much. I mean, they were inventing a language. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, it's like a lot of people don't have that experience. They don't have the experience of making, you know, 40 films in their twenties. Um, and then be able to, you know, keep working like that. Uh, now it's like, you know, even, you know, like the most prolific directors at most have a, maybe a, a movie a year, uh, which is still a lot, but like people like Woody Allen who, you know, until recently it was, you know, had something new always in the pipeline. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you have these people who are just making, like, a couple, you know, make a few movies every year um, just through the studio system. But yeah. you just learn your craft. Yeah, before the press junket and all the other bullshit that came with selling your movie, it, I guess it was easier to get one made. <laughs> well, yeah, because you had, I mean, you had a, a studio, literally it was like a factory, so they would just, like, they had everybody on staff anyhow, and it's like you weren't paid like the movie itself wasn't necessarily like the package with the whole. It was just like you were just assigned. You know, it's like you were scheduled to show up for this movie or, you know, um, it's a different thing than when the studio had to kind of, you know, they started falling apart. Um, all that changed. And so now it's like, you know, so much stuff is weirdly independent or people have to like put their thing together. Yeah. It's like Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, he creates his own project or, you know, Quentin Tarantino or somebody. Um, and then they get kind of chopped around or picked up or I don't know. It's not like they're assigned by 20th Century Fox. It's like, okay, we're making <laughs> this movie and you're doing it. The last movie I can remember that being a thing was when um, I think Fox did the remake of The Italian Job. And uh-huh. Edward Norton was on some weird fucking contract with them. And they're like, okay, you're going to do this movie. And he's like, I don't want to do this movie. This movie sounds terrible. Like, you, yeah. you have to do it. You are showing up. And he purposely gave, which is kind of like, fuck you, Edward Norton. Like, you're making good money off this. Just, like, do your best. Like, there's other people yeah. involved here. It's not about you. But he was, I'm sure, in his super mega movie star mode. But he went and he did yeah. this movie. And he, like, purposely was horrible at acting and... He was, like, the biggest piece of shit at the press junkets. Like, you look it up. The Italian job, Edward Norton. There's plenty That's written funny. about it. 
And that's the last thing that I can think of where it was like a studio was like, you be here now, you do this now. Yeah. And uh, he just couldn't live with it. And I think it that's also so crazy too, cost him a lot like, of I mean, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like you said, like, you know, it's like you're paid so much, but also like people are going to see that. So if you give a shitty performance, then you'd think that would just, you know, that could potentially ruin your career. You well, I heard it for a long time. Give a shitty performance. Because he was on such a yeah. hot streak of like, you know, if they weren't like box office blockbusters, they were at least indie darlings or award winning films with like Primal yeah. Fear and Fight Club and all that stuff. And then he does this, and then, you know, he's doing like rando shit for a while. He didn't yeah. really come back into the limelight until recently, really. I guess that's true. I mean, yeah, because he had that horrible Hulk movie. Yeah. yeah, wasn't that Ann Lee who did it? Was it? Yeah, Ang Lee did that. Which also, his career has also been, like, kind of in the slumps lately, too, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Crazy. Well, apparently they're trying. All right. I know. We're about to wrap it up, but last on everyone. Oh, yeah. they, he was going to be in the new Marvel Cinematic Universe thing. And apparently the reason why they um, got the other dude instead was he wanted Hulk to try and kill himself or whatever, like commit suicide, but he won't die because the Hulk will like push the bullet out of the brain before it has a chance to whatever. And Marvel was like, no, we can't do that. That's whatever. He's like, but he's depressed and like whatever. And they fought over the script and they're like, whatever, you're fired. And that they <laughs> fired him from it because he wanted a suicide scene. <laughs> <laughs> And so, yeah, Edward, Edward Norton's got his quirks. Oh, yeah. But also, maybe he just I mean, really wanted out of it, and it's like, okay, what can they, like, I know they won't say yes to something, but it can't be too over the top. <laughs> it's like, all right, cool, like, this will get me fired. I, I, don't, I don't know. All I know How is... How to get fired the Edward Norton way. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go to work, <laughs> the jobs I don't want to work, which is a gun to my head, like, I'm going to kill myself! <laughs> they're like oh my god you're fired <laughs> it wouldn't take as long and as it took Edward Norton to get fired from the Marvel Cinematic Universe I'm guessing but that's oh, yeah. Hollywood baby that's it this is Psychotronicast we are through part 3 of the Franco Files there may be 4 definitely at least but there may be more. Oh, yeah. I don't know. It's really up to this guy, the programmer, Derek Estes. Give it I up. Know. I mean, I think we might at least yeah, take a break for now, but I think we'll definitely, I mean, there's still more. I mean, yeah. Franco will just, we'll be able to fold him back into what we're doing okay. easier, I think. Oh, wait. So the next episode isn't just Franco? Or oh, no, it? the next one is. Yeah. But okay. I mean, I think beyond, yeah. Like, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll put just, it, we'll yeah, it in the I'll bud. Remember, yeah. This was episode 76. We got big plans coming up for episode 100. So much so that it's going to spill out into no more episodes. I don't know if we started at 100 or we started before and we ended at 100. We haven't really discussed much know. yet. But all I know, uh, the only secret or clue we can give you is we're going back to our roots. But uh, yeah. until then, let's just keep it purely casual. All right. Bye. Bye.